Back in my campus ministry days, I had to fundraise my salary. And since I had so many supporters, I wrote regular newsletters to keep my many benefactors in the loop as to what was happening on campus. One newsletter story that I wrote, though, drew a sharp response from one of my supporters. I'll tell you why, coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Patrick Conley. Welcome to The Inner Life. Each weekday at 11 Central, we're here to offer you some help and guidance in living out your Catholic faith through the counsel of our top-notch spiritual directors. I'm your host, Patrick Conley. In a newsletter back when I worked for this ecumenical campus ministry, I was relating my growing relationship with a particular student who happened to be Catholic. And I was trying in this story to relate my joy in finding so much common ground between us, so much faith in this Catholic student. But I made the mistake of beginning the story by admitting that, initially, I didn't expect to encounter a depth of faith in the student precisely because he was Catholic. Yep, I admit it. Protestant as I was at the time, I had a preconceived bias that most, if not all, Catholics were pretty immature when it came to faith. And one of my readers and supporters, a Catholic herself, called me on it. She wrote me an email pointing out my obvious bias, which, of course, now I see clearly, by the way, that had colored even the way that I approached the relationship with the student. I could feel her frustration, even anger, as I read her words. And even though, as I said, I was trying to point out in the newsletter how happy I was to find that this Catholic student had a profound faith, my reader couldn't get past my anti-Catholic bias, especially as it could foster some of that same bias in the hearts of my other supporters. So, again, she called me on it. And she was right to do so. And you know what? It didn't feel good. I felt angry with her. I felt defensive. I felt attacked. Eventually, I did email her back. And while I'm happy to say that I did admit my fault, I also took the opportunity to call her out on a thing or two, mainly in the way that she worded her correction of me. Eh, overall, thinking it through, I'd give myself about a C-plus grade in my response. Well, I hope I've gotten better with being corrected since then. I think I have. But even so, when correction comes, even today, there's still something inside of me that fires up. My first reaction is always defensive. I mean, it's hard to be corrected. Well, that said, if you'd ask me, I'm not sure which I'd say was harder, being corrected or giving correction. What would you say? Well, today on the program, we're focusing on fraternal correction, how to give and receive correction in matters of faith and morals well. Here is our spiritual director is Father Bobby Blood. Father Blood is a priest in the Diocese of Rockford, Illinois, where he serves as the spiritual director and vice principal at St. Edward High School in Elgin. And Father Blood is joining us in studio today as well. Father, good to be speaking with you again. Yeah, great to connect with you and uh, some of our favorite topics, correction, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. As I was saying before the show, I think uh, maybe we should just start out with uh, you and, and Nick correcting one another. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, public yeah. grievances. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, we'll just get it all out here. And Anyway, so grateful that you're with us here, Father. And I mean, one of the classic go-to passages when we're talking about fraternal correction is this passage from Matthew 18, where Jesus is outlining how to deal with a, a brother who has sinned against you. 
Can you explain this passage for us, and um, why why do we deal with correction in this way? Why going to the person individually, then if need if he doesn't respond, you know, um, then taking two or three others, and then telling the church, etc. Yeah, I think Jesus is explaining to us that we have to handle sensitive things in a sensitive way, right? People are human beings. And so if you have to correct somebody, have the the sort of strength to talk to them one-on-one that gives them their most dignity and allows them to, to correct that in a way that's private and not embarrassing. But we know sometimes people don't receive the correction and they need a little more. And so maybe you bring a buddy along to help show how serious it is. And if they still don't realize the error of their ways, then you bring in the church to say, I need an authority on this, somebody on the outside who can see the whole picture. And I think really it shows the mercy of Jesus to say, we should give people a shot. Maybe they have different intentions that we're maybe reading into in a wrong way and they can explain or you can flesh out in detail why they're doing the thing that needs to be corrected one-on-one in a way that Maybe they wouldn't be open to share. If it was a big group, they're going to feel attacked. They're going to feel like oh, I'm being cornered. And at that point, they can't really correct it. They'll probably just feel bad. Mm. Um, so the Lord is saying, hey, you know, let's do this in a gradual sort of respectful way. Yeah. Yeah. Gradual and respectful. I like that. And obviously um, just recognizing and acting according to the dignity of the other person, the, just the dignity of them being a human being, a human person made in the image and likeness of God. Right. But it seems to me, too, that, uh, well, maybe I'm speaking just personally here, but I'm guessing I'm not the only one who has this, where I can see lots of things, most of them fairly small, but lots of things come up and saying, oh, yeah, that, that could have been done better. And I, and I have to throw in there, too, especially as a teacher. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the things you're almost constantly doing is correcting, you know, please take your hat off, please don't run in the hallways, you know, these sorts of things that are going on. But I guess the what it boils down to, Father, is that it seems like there's kind of two ends of the spectrum that are to be avoided here, which is one, on the one hand, not offering correction, you know, incessantly, constantly, but also on the other hand, uh, not offering it or offering it not at all. I mean, we want to avoid that as well. Um, so is there a happy middle ground there to sort of see, to seek out? And, and how do we do that? Yeah, I think we have to remind ourselves that we're not... Um, the only person in the world who has all the pressure to help their brother and sister to be better, right? So I think sometimes we put the <laughs> pressure on ourselves. Right. Well, if I don't say anything, nobody will. So I need to make sure that every little tidbit is corrected right away. And uh, I'm on the diocesan vocation team. So there's a group of us priests who kind of work to help serve the the seminarians and young men discerning a vocation of the priesthood. And, and you notice right away, right, what we would call like a formation issue. Yeah. And so if we had all five guys <laughs> kind of dogging this mm. poor, you know, 19-year-old kid, it probably wouldn't go very well. So we, we kind of <laughs> talk to each other and say, hey, did you notice this? Yep. Okay. Which one of us has the best relationship to address it? Um, so, so being intentional. But um, we also don't want to run away from correction and say, well, it's not my place. Right. Well, sometimes the Lord might be saying, you're exactly the person who they could receive it from. And realize what a gift that is that there's somebody in your life who you have such a positive relationship with that you could give them hard news and, and them receive it in a way that is a net positive. And so I think being in constant communication with the Lord and also being honest about what's your place in the relationship. Are you a close friend? Are you a family member? Are you on the outside and just noticed and are annoyed? What's the the yeah. driving force of wanting to correct? Is it, you know, I don't I don't enjoy them, and so I want to kind of put them down, or is it? Well, I really want them 
to feel more freedom. And so I want to help them into that. And so we have to check ourselves and also check with the Lord, I think, in those moments to say, okay, what is my role and how can I do that well? Yeah, I love that question. Are am I just being am I am I annoyed at it? I mean, that's a, that's a good thing. Any other kind of words of advice about how do we center in on issues that really this this is something that needed needs addressed? Because I mean, at some of the, some things, it just seems like you know what this is. It's not the time, the place, and it's not really that major of an infraction. It's not sin, you know, so to speak, or something like that. So um, how do we how do we kind of identify? No, this one really does need somebody to say something. I think if it's causing negative fruit um, and, and you can see it's very tangibly causing some damage to, to that person or another, I would say maybe it's time to speak up. But I also think consistency is important in the way we analyze it to ask the question, is this something that's going to come up again, right? Is this person making a mistake that's going to come and go? Or is this sort of a, a personality defect or, or a, a negative habit that they're continuing to enter into? Because maybe you don't say anything the first time and you're like, oh, that was weird. But then you notice it two, three times and you're like, okay, maybe they don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe they actually would appreciate recognizing, oh, when they say that, this is how people feel or, or when they do this, this is the effect of it. Um, so I think asking the question, how consistent is it? And then also how how big of a deal is it? If it's not a big deal and it's just mildly sort of irritating, okay, maybe we can let that one go. Um, but if it really does take root or, or cause some sort of effect to, to say, okay, I, I don't want them to to do that without knowing it mm-hmm. and give them the, the chance and the opportunity to say, oh, I, I didn't even realize it. Because oftentimes that, that's what comes down to uh, folks not seeing a full perspective or, or maybe they're doing something without thinking and you realize that, you know, not everything everyone does is intentional. Sometimes yeah. it's it's accidental or just part of their personality. Yeah, good point, Father. Father Bobby Blood is our spiritual director today, talking about fraternal correction. If you've had to correct a friend, a child, a coworker, how'd you do it? Were you nervous? Did you step up to the plate and actually deliver this correction? How did it go? How did you see the hand of God at work in your correction? Give us a call. We'd love to hear from you and have you on the show today. Our studio line here is 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. That's sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Our email address, if you'd prefer, is innerlife at relevantradio.com. Well, Father Blood, one of the things, too, that oftentimes comes up in reference to the Scriptures in terms of fraternal correction is this whole scene from Galatians 2 where Paul says, St. Paul says that he, when Peter, St. Peter came to Antioch, I told him face to face that he was wrong. And so there was an issue here about Peter, you know, associating with the Gentiles. But then when the Jewish people showed up, then he kind of pulled himself away. So I can see that there was probably some good motivation there for Paul to offer this correction because he saw the negative fruit. In fact, he, he accounts for this in the passage, the negative fruit that it was already beginning to bear. Even Barnabas was pulled away, he said. Yeah, face-to-face is one of the hardest things in the world Mm -hmm. because we have to take ownership of what we're doing. I've noticed this working in a school that uh, the way parents will communicate via email is much different than when they talk to me face-to-face because when we're we're talking through media, we allow ourselves to sort of get riled up, um, and it's a one-sided conversation to start, so you just kind of get all the emotion out. Um, But face-to-face makes you take it a little more seriously. When you can see somebody's face downcast while you're correcting them or where, while you're sharing frustration, um, you have to be a little more nuanced. Um, and there's something about that that is so virtuous to say, I'm going to take the time to pull them aside 
one-on-one, face-to-face, person-to-person, and help call them up, right? Not call them out. Um, and, and so I think for Paul and Peter, you can imagine they're two sort of uh, alpha males. There's a certain level of yeah. confidence they both had. And, and to have the confidence to say, hey, Peter, you know, maybe we got to think about this. That's hard. But, it, but it's human, again, to, to make that connection. And, you know, as a priest, I've gotten, you know, anonymous letters from folks who didn't like certain homilies I gave or certain things I did. And I don't really take it seriously. In the sense of if if it's anonymous, I don't take it as seriously as the nice, you know, older lady in the front row who I see every week. If she's correcting me face to face, I'm going to say, man, I, I really need to correct that. But if it's an anonymous letter, there's something so, um, I don't know, intangible about that where, where that correction I just get frustrated about rather yeah. than saying, like, oh, this actually does have some sort of uh, negative effect that I need to, to, to work on. Yeah. 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 That's a, that's a good point. Face to face. And, and maybe this would be a good time to highlight too um, some venues that are kind of just completely out of the realm of fraternal correction, which I'm thinking specifically of number one, gossiping instead of going to someone face to face and, and uh, even, even sending a letter or anything like that, gossiping, not a good idea as well as uh, taking to social media, which I think a lot of people do to air grievances that way. Yeah, it's it's way too common. And I think oftentimes we justify gossip or detraction by saying, well, I'm frustrated and I need to vent it out. I need to be heard. And that's actually a truth, right? So you do need to be heard. You probably do need to get some of that out. Um, but again, we ask the, the, the question of intention. Is the end goal for you uh, to get it out so you can move on? Or is your intention to get somebody to agree with you so you feel better? And I think those are two different things. And so um, oftentimes a question I ask in like spiritual direction or or in the confessional is, um, why is it that you're doing it? What's the legitimate need that you have? Because not to overly simplify our faith, but I think oftentimes when we latch to sin of any kind, it's because we have a legitimate need that we need to receive from the Lord and we're grasping for it. And I think oftentimes gossip falls in that category where I'm, I'm grasping to be understood. I'm grasping to be seen and known and loved. And we end up feeling more empty. We don't feel any better. And it rouses up more. So we feel that that need to continue to gossip more because mm-hmm. it's almost feeding a frenzy. Instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go vent to the Lord or I'm going to find one person I can talk to who will keep me in check and make sure I'm speaking in charity and then try to move on from it instead of just allowing it to be something negative um, that sort of spirals us even further. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things, too, I think that oftentimes comes up with fraternal correction, and a great point about, like, gossiping feeding on itself so that it's, uh, it, it becomes— and you're absolutely right. I know that uh, from my own experience that if I, um, you know, sinner that I am, have turned to gossip that— it doesn't. I mean, over the in the immediate, it makes me feel better, perhaps, but over the long haul, it doesn't solve anything, and I just feel worse about it. And like you said, it just kind of perpetuates itself that way. But sometimes people can avoid giving correction uh, because they're they're they don't want to be seen as actually shaming someone. So, I guess going back to what you initially said, Father, about recognizing the dignity of the person that we're trying to offer this correction to. Um, we're not trying to shame them as a person, but rather to point out something in their behavior, something in their mindset, whatever it happens to be, that um, may just not be leading them into into grace and freedom. Yeah, I think of um, when I was in seminary, 
they had come up with an idea that if you were late to morning prayer more than twice, you had to sit in a particular pew and that was sort of your punishment. And, uh, I called it the pew of shame because I was late oftentimes uh, (laughs) early on in seminary formation. And so I called it the pew of shame and I I hyped it up to all my buddies that we all needed to get in the pew of shame, uh, because I was frustrated that that's the the way that they were going to correct me. It seems sort of impersonal. And, uh, the pew of shame became so popular that they had to stop doing it because so many guys were coming late on purpose. Um, but then I had a priest pull me aside later on and say, you know, Bobby, I, I think it's important for us to be a family together and for us to start the day all as one family. And it would mean a lot to me if you would come. And I was never late again. Huh. Um, and so you, you see those two inverses of, of ways to approach it and say, like, I could tell in one of those that, that someone was willing my good. Um, they were both the same correction, um, but I could tell from one that, well, they actually care about me and they have a good reason and I'm going to step up to the plate. Yeah, yeah, very good. Talking about fraternal correction today, give us a call at 888-914-9149. Let's take a phone call, Father. We've got Bonita calling in from Berkeley, California. Bonita, good morning. Welcome to the welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you, uh, Patrick. So I have a friend who lives about 80 miles away who used to live in my area, and I saw her more frequently, and now I see her every couple of months. And she called me saying she was feeling suicidal and overwhelmed. Okay, so she's in her late 60s, I would say. And uh, her, she's uh, estranged from her family, and she's not practicing her faith anymore. I recommended to her in a text that uh, maybe to go to a nearby church and sit in front of the tabernacle quietly for a while. But I'm not sure that was even appropriate, and I just want to know what uh, Father Bobby suggests, Father Bobby Glenn. So, and what should I, how should I handle this? Yeah, it's a great question. I think invitation is always okay. Um imposition is where things get sticky. So to say, Hey, you know, I, th- I think from, even if you, you put, put it back on personal experience, you know, it's really helpful for me when I'm feeling kind of heavy is spending some time with the blessed sacrament. I think that's okay. Or to say, do you have somebody that you trust in your life that you can talk to? Maybe your local priest or a counselor or a friend. Is there anybody that you feel safe enough to kind of share that heavy with? And I think those invitations are good. And I don't even see them really as a correction, but, but just a, a sort of, olive branch to say, hey, you don't have to do this alone. So I think you're right on the money, Benita. Benita, thank you for the call. Yeah. Is that helpful? Yes. Thank you. Okay. Very good. Benita, thank you for the call and certainly prayers for you and your friend uh, in this, in this, yeah, it's a tense situation and people are facing all sorts of these things. So, so grateful that you called in. Thank you. If you'd like to call in with an experience that you've had with fraternal correction, either giving it or receiving it, Maybe you've had to receive it. How did you receive it? Did you receive it well? Or did you uh, did you kind of fly off the handle? Yeah, either way, we'd love to hear from you. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Or our email address, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll be back with more of the show and a conversation with Father Bobby Blood right after this. Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers, invites high school juniors, seniors, and recent graduates to study the great books this summer at UD's two-week-long Arate program while earning three hours of college credit. Info at relevantradio.com slash udallas. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now you're going to hear about it. 
<laughs> I love it. Thank you, Nick, for that. Uh, yeah, little uh, Frank Costanza giving us a little, maybe some insight on how not to do fraternal correction. And uh, we are not in the midst of Festivus, of course, right now. If you're just joining us, we're talking about fraternal correction here on the program today, how to give and receive it well with our spiritual director, Father Bobby Blood. So grateful that he is with us in studio today as well. If you have a way in which you have given or received fraternal correction, uh, whether it went well or went poorly, call in, tell us a story, 888-914-9149. Let's go now to Sebastian calling in from Alberta, Canada. Sebastian, welcome to The Inner Life. Thanks for calling in. Hi, good morning. I um, About in 2016, I, um, my, fam- my wife and a kid at a time, we... Uh, our son, we we flew uh, over uh, overseas to uh, for my cousin's wedding, and um, the night or the evening or the day before the the wedding, which was going to happen the next day in the context of a mass, um, all the ladies got together to get all uh, you know dolled up and and to have the the last you know you know just what a little gathering to get the hair done and whatnot, and um, my wife was invited. So she overheard the bride to be talking. Okay, well, and 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 intending to alter the the portions of the mass where where um, I don't know what the prayers are called, but where they where they promise to raise the children in the in the Catholic faith and whatnot. And they so the bride intended to alter the mass, maybe perhaps last minute to say, okay, well, I don't want to raise my kids in the Catholic faith. I want them to choose. And I also want to get an IOD implanted to as a way of planning our family. And I'm and I'm grossly paraphrasing. This is not firsthand evidence because this is was I, I heard this from my wife later. So I I started agonizing. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to be a witness to what. And I'm not a canon lawyer either, but what could be an invalid marriage if if all they want to do is put forth this ceremony as some sort of facade, but then that's what they're doing. In, in the background. So after agonizing for hours, I emailed my spiritual director. He was able to respond and say, don't do anything, just go to the wedding. But the, perhaps what could be disordered zeal got the best of me. And I did approach my cousin, whom I had a decent friendship relationship with. And I said, look, I'm, I'm concerned about what you're doing. I, I, um, I love you. And I, I really, I, I, I realize that this is last minute and terrible timing, but I want to express this concern that I have before you go into this and tell you that it's not too late. You can, you can just go forward with this, but, but go, you know, nobody's forcing you to get married in the church, but if you're going to go through with this, this is, this is what we're asked. And um, so anyway, fast forward years later, I mean, I, the, the, the family ties have been severed. Um, a, Mostly with the mum of the of now of the bride, who I, I believe got the the news of what I did, and I, I believe I caused a fair bit of resentment. But at the end of the day, I I can't shake this off. I mean, it's been years now, and it does affect the way I've I've shied away from other fraternal correction that, and in general. So I don't know if I acted poorly. If I if I did the right thing, and I, one thing that that stands out of my mind is my cousin said, when I suggested that she doesn't have to get married in the church, she said, "Well, I cannot do this to grandma." So it was it became clear to me when from her mouth that it was something that she was doing, not you know almost like as a cultural maybe cultural thing just to put something 
some facade on, but anyway, right. that that's my story. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I I don't think that's a rare experience, right? So I've been a priest for five years, and you, you have varying degrees of, of buy-in of, of couples who are getting married, and and hopefully through their prep, those sort of questions were wrestled with with their priest or the maybe mentor couple they worked with, and and I also think sometimes people talk out of turn when with their with their friends. Maybe she's interiorly wrestling with it, but is trying to save face with friends. Who, who knows, right? We, we don't really know the intentions or feelings of other people other than what they, they relate to us. Um, so I'd say, you know, if a spiritual director says not to do something, I'd probably say we have to be obedient to that. So in, in that sense, maybe not the right call. Um, and also you had the question of timing, right? So at a certain point, if, if you'd heard that earlier, maybe a conversation could have been had or maybe that's a conversation you, you reach out, you know, after they're married and say like, hey, you know, I, I heard this was something you were struggling with. You know, this has been hugely beneficial in my life to to sort of buy into everything the church is asking, and so I think maybe the timing was off, and and it wasn't obviously received as well as you would have liked. Um, so I would say, you know, your heart's in the right place of of wanting to preserve the gift of the sacrament, um, but we would hope that the priest who's close to that situation would have said something or, or had that conversation, and. Um, uh, would have at least known maybe the the nitty gritty or the messy of it all. Um, so I, th- I think it's one of those things where the Lord is saying, "Hey, you know, um, in that time, maybe you shouldn't have." Um, but that doesn't mean that every situation in the future is is the wrong time to correct. It just means you've really got to sort of ponder and pray and 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 talk to your spiritual director and say, "Okay, in the in the future, what's the best way to handle it, and, and how can I kind of address that in a way that." They can actually receive and not just um, respond with that resentment, what you mentioned. Mm. Sebastian, tough story, and uh, but a good one. Thank you for sharing it with us, and uh, and good and prayers for you, brother, as you continue to navigate these uh, these family ties and work for reconciliation in that way. And Father, just and that sort of thing. Sometimes when, as Sebastian was relating, sometimes when fraternal correction goes badly, it can, as Sebastian said, it can make us shy away from ever offering it again. What would you recommend for that kind of situation? I would say take a deep breath. People are complicated. Relationships are complicated. And there's a lot of different um, dynamics there, right? So there's what you're going to feel like and think afterward. There's the response of the other person. and, And a lot of that we're not in control of. And so I would say if, if the Lord is directing you to, to have a hard conversation, I would, I would trust them. And we have to kind of continue to be in that place of prayer to hear his voice and know that if he's asking something hard, that we're going to be okay. Um, but I also say it's, 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 it's also a good learning curve, right? You, you touch the stove and it's too hot and you get burned and then, you know, okay, I need to be more gentle around the oven. So, you know, in this situation, you realize like, oh, when I correct family members, they don't respond super well. Okay. I've got to find a more gentle way to try to approach it in the future. So I think it also helps to learn, um, how to handle it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Might have a few scars going into it, but, uh, yeah, if we, those scars help to make us into a, a better corrector and cor- correctee as well, I suppose. Thank you. Thank you for that, Sebastian. Thank you for calling in. Let's go now to Daniel calling in from Orlando, Florida. Good afternoon, Daniel. Thanks for calling in. Good afternoon. How y'all doing? Doing yeah. well, thanks. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm currently a student at the University of Central Florida. Good nights. And I, I've had the opportunity to be like an older brother to a lot of like younger men in the faith. Like I'm a junior. So a lot of freshmen, sophomores, and I've definitely had my fair share of moments of like, um, like fraternal correction. And I just had like the question of like, 
for the for the people who are like stuck in like a state of like mortal sin, but like they're not necessarily like knowledge like they're knowledgeable, but they're not necessarily knowledgeable. Like especially on on college campuses, like there's a lot of like bar- partying and drinking. Like how would you go about like correcting like someone a, like who is like kind of stuck in that, but not necessarily like super aware that they shouldn't be doing it? That's a great question. I, I think every relationship is different. And so the approach might look different depending on the student and how well you know them and how open they are. Um, a Bible passage or line that really helps me when it comes to having those hard conversations is Second uh, Corinthians 3.17, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so being able to ask somebody the question, you know, the life you're living, kind of how things are going, do you feel free and full? Do you feel like you're receiving everything you need from the Lord? Do you feel like your community is positive? And on the surface level, they might say yes, but as you kind of grow in relationship, you realize uh, anybody who, who's falling back on on sin or, or even just, you know, fairly negative tendencies, they don't feel free. And you being able to say, like, I want you to live a life that's free and full, and eventually this kind of burns out, and it's not going to end the way you want it to. And so I just want you to know there is a better way. And you don't have to push any further, right? You, you kind of throw the grenade and, and see what happens. Um, and, and then be there to follow up because yeah. they might not want to receive that then. But in six weeks or six months, they might have a wild night and wake up the next morning and realize this is crummy. And they'll know that they can call you and, and be honest. Hey, I, you know, it, it's been a hard weekend and I don't want to do this anymore. And then you can give them more practical tips. But I would say just asking that question, you know, the life you're living, does it feel f- full and free? Um, because oftentimes it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. It doesn't, it doesn't, uh, you know, go out and call somebody out or call into the mat about, you know, all these things that they're doing, but, uh, but it, it kind of just, it, it just offers a little bit of a, of a chance to respond or a chance to reflect. And Daniel, what do you think? Does that, does that seem to make sense? Might that be a way of, of entering into the situations? Yeah, I think, I think that's honestly a really good answer because a lot of the stuff like we talk about is like freedom and like, especially that Corinthians verse, like where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Um, like I definitely, and like the following up too, I think that's one way I struggle is the following up where you might like drop something on someone like, Hey, like maybe you shouldn't be doing this or inviting someone into like a deeper, like introspective, like way of thinking of like, how do you actually like feel when you like do this and you wake up the next morning, you know? Like, are you, do you actually, like, do you feel, like, free? Like, do you feel, like, liberated? Like, a lot of, like, the college, like, you know, term, like, are you, like, free? Are you liberated, like, when you do this? Or, like, do you feel like you're enslaved to the, the behavior that you're uh, committing? And I definitely think it can be easy to, like, kind of do that correction, but then not follow up. Because, um, like, like y'all were saying, was, like, they may not receive it then, but they'll receive it possibly, right. like, six months later, a year later, however long. You yeah. know, yeah, and, and even to go to the 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 simplicity of so you have that that one bigger conversation, and then even just to check in and ask, you know, what what's one one thing that's bring, been bringing you joy this week? And oftentimes they're not going to say, you know, the party scene. They're going to have some connection with somebody. Oh, I got to hang with this friend. I got to talk to this person. I'm loving this class. And then from that, you can affirm the good. And I think that kind of takes it from the side to be able to affirm all those good things. Um, because they're going to be reminded innately that those are the things that are actually good for me, and those are the things that give me life. So I, I think you're on the right track, Daniel, and I think they're lucky to have somebody who 
uh, desires their good enough to to wrestle with these sort of hard conversations. So, Amen to that. Yeah, go, go I, nights. You know. Yeah, exactly. I was just uh, I was just thinking the same thing. I'm so gl- grateful that you're in their lives, Daniel. That you're there as a as a brother in in Christ, well as a brother in the in the college experience, which I know can be trying for many of us in terms of or was trying for many of us in terms of morality and things like that. So I'm grateful that you're there. Yeah, keep up the keep up the work, good work, keep the faith, and uh, we'll be praying for you, Daniel. Thank you for the call. Let's go now to Kathy calling in from Park Ridge, Illinois. Kathy, welcome. Oh, uh, thank you. Um, thank you. I, you know, I was going to ask another question, but <laughs> I'm a mom of five and there's, and um, the oldest girl of 12. And the, um, speaking to the first, that gentleman who was uh, uh, in a quandary about the marital uh, situation and the girl um, wanting to make changes, I have a, um, I'm sorry, Father, but I have a different um, perspective on that, and I, I hope um, you'd let me explain it. Um, the woman was talking about doing some very um, profound things, and the IUD is actually an abortifacient. So the, the things that come down the pike there are very, very serious. It's not just a drinking party, which seems to be okay to deal with, but these are very serious matters. The other thing was that she was kind of trying to um, manipulate the sacramental um, situation, which is also, I think, pretty grievous. And um, on the other hand, um, I want to say that that mother-in-law um, had probably had some roots in training her daughter's belief system. So it it, it sort of comes full circle. Of course, she's going to be offended. I don't think the idea of having the other party be offended is necessarily the focal point, but the fact that we're standing for the truth, those things are very serious and uh, validity and invalidity become really important, maybe 10, 15 years down the the road. So I I really um, would say that those words that were spoken, even in the Protestant faith, if anyone here knows of any reason why this marriage should not go forward, should say it. Well, why would they put people on the spot at those situations? I, I'm not saying that, um, that you know, you just need to go full. But I do think that when it becomes a point of concern, you need to, to um, express it. The other side of that is with all the marriages in our family, uh, we were raised very um, devout Catholics. But as you know, things come through the pike, and we've got all these marriages where people just don't care. They're getting married at the hotels. They're, you know, they're not baptizing their babies. It's, it's a real conundrum for this society nowadays that we're becoming very atheistic. So I, I do think that um, through all of this, we need to be kind of particular and err on the side of um, speaking up where things are at that serious level. So Yeah, yeah, I definitely can understand that perspective of realizing how serious it is. Uh, I think the question goes back to um, what's our particular role and what's actually going to be helpful. So you, you think about that situation, um, unless you're the closest to the family member or their, their marriage prepper, they're, they're not going to make a change or respond in a, in a way that's helpful. I also don't think that the priest would legitimately change any sort of the, the sacramental right in that sense. So um, 
definitely agree there's, you know, a seriousness to it. Um, but um, in this sense, we have to ask the question, you know, how can we effectively communicate that in a way that is going to have a positive effect that preserves the church and also um, the goodness of the person? So complicated for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And Kathy, appreciate you calling in with uh, with a bit of offering of correction there. I hear as we're talking about fraternal correction. And thank you for that, Kathy. I appreciate the phone call. And we are talking about fraternal correction today with our spiritual director, Father Bobby Blood. If you have uh, an experience of giving or receiving correction and it went well or it went poorly, give us a call and let us know how that went. 888-914-9149. Again, 888-914-9149. Nine one four nine, or you can send us an email inner life at relevantradio.com we're going to take our next break but we'll be back with more of the inner life right after this stay with us Our sponsor, the University of Dallas, the Catholic University for Independent Thinkers, invites high school juniors, seniors, and recent graduates to study the great books this summer at UD's two-week-long Arate program while earning three hours of college credit. Info at relevantradio.com slash UDallas. Oh, if you don't love God. If you don't love your neighbor. If you gossip about him. If you never have mercy. If he gets into trouble and you don't try to help him. Then you don't love your neighbor. And you don't love God. Ah, that's a good reminder coming to us as we are talking about fraternal correction here on The Inner Life. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Patrick Conley. My thanks to Nick Sentovich, our producer. Thomas Engesser taking your phone calls today and our spiritual director, Father Bobby Blood. Just a reminder of, about Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass. If you haven't watched some of these short little videos start opening up the Mass to you and helping you to get more out of the even the little things at Mass, they're all there for a reason, to help you grow in your relationship with the Lord. Check them out. Go to relevantradio.com slash Lenten and sign up to receive a new video, short little video, in your email every day of Lent, relevantradio.com slash Lent. Well, as we're speaking about fraternal correction here, we had an email come in from Kathy, and this is what Kathy says, Father. She says, last Sunday at Mass, two young men, uh, one probably a teen, the other maybe eight or ten, sat next to me, appeared to be brothers attending Mass with their father. They were both wearing hats throughout the Mass as well when going up to receive the Eucharist. Then Kathy says, I felt very uncomfortable not knowing if I should say something. I knew my husband would be appalled if I interfered, particularly since they were with their father. So she asked, should I have said something? And if so, how would you recommend I approach it? Would you suggest maybe I speak to the pastor about reminding men to remove their hats when entering the sanctuary? Or am I just being petty? Yeah, it's a great question. I think sometimes it's it's helpful to talk to the pastor or the priest and just say, hey, how do you want me to navigate this? Um, because maybe he has saw it and, and he's going to address it at some point, or maybe he'd prefer you to, <laughs> you to be the bad guy. Um, but to ask him kind of what his perspective is, you know, cause there's certain situations where, you know, you, you as a high school priest, uh, in the situation I'm in, if a kid's wearing a hat in the chapel, I tap the hat off his head and okay. uh, we have that relationship. And right. so that's kind of normal, but in these sort of nor- more broad situations, it's, um, really trying to navigate, you know, we want a welcoming, warm community. Maybe they don't know better. Maybe they're from a different cultural background. Um, but just kind of talk to, to your priest and say, Hey, you know, how would you like me to address this? Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's fair enough. But it, actually springboarding off of that, um, 
Sometimes we're in a position where we feel like we need to offer some fraternal correction to a priest or perhaps to someone else who's an authority over us. Maybe it's a boss. Maybe it's one of our parents, uh, something like that. Any advice as to how to approach those types of situations, Father? I would say those need more time to process. So there's certain corrections with the people who are equal to us where we might say, well, it's kind of not easy, but a little easier to say, well, I have a position here where it makes sense for me to say something. Uh, but other relationships with with a priest, the boss, a parent, um, you really have to, to ask yourself the question, you know, what emotion do I desire to make this correction out of? Because I, I found oftentimes it's you feel that there's some injustice being done and anger starts to rise up and and sometimes that's righteous and sometimes it's it's going a little bit wild. And so being able to ask that question, okay, wh- where am I coming from emotionally? Um, and then be intentional about it. We, we all need correction at, at time and again. Um, and it's taking the space to say, okay, how can I do this in a way that will be received and respectful and they'll know that I'm not belittling them or, or, or trying to, to question the authority um, because we want to have reverence for an office. So you have reverence for the priestly office or the role of parent uh, or a boss, right? There's a position there. So we have to be a little more tender, uh, but then to say they're a human being and whatever they're doing is, is harmful or hurtful and, and should be addressed. And so I would say take some time to chew on your own emotion and then set aside that time, just like the biblical principle from, from Matthew 18 we mentioned, uh, talking to them one-on-one. And, and especially when it comes to like an ecclesiastical office, you know, with the church, it's easy for us in those moments to, to talk about whatever thing we were going to correct the priest on with our buddies and, and that spreads and, and that's hard to stop. And so I would say, you know, especially in those sensitive situations, if you notice something to say, okay, before I vent it all out, I want to pray. And then I want to have this one-on-one conversation and see how he responds. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good, uh, good piece of advice there too. And and we're, I mean, I think a lot of times, and and we always want to uh, take it with a with some prayer and some humility going into a situation like that where we're offering correction. But specifically, if it's a person in position of authority, I think it's good to remember St. Paul's words that uh, those positions of authority have been made for a reason, that there are God-granted positions. And and not that we should never offer the correction, but I think your, uh, your advice of yeah, taking a deep breath and, uh, and uh, give it more time um, are good ones for that one, Father. Um, well, what about, uh, you know, we can't, even though we offer correction, and even if we think we have a pretty solid relationship with somebody we're, we're offering correction to, um, we just can't predict people's responses. So what if we offer correction and it doesn't go well? What if, if the person being corrected handles it poorly? What do we do in those types of situations? I think you're supposed to double down and never apologize. Um, no, <laughs> really? Okay, no, there you kidding. go. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're not responsible for the response. And so um, it can easily be taken very personally if, if they shut down or get frustrated. So we, we, can't, we can't take responsibility for that. So I would say uh, go easy on yourself. Um, I would also say, you know, we're planting seeds. Oftentimes correction is, is just like spreading the gospel. You're planting seeds and, and you don't know what kind of soil it's going to fall on. Mm-hmm. But you've just been asked to sow the seeds. You're not really responsible uh, for the response afterward. And um, and so I would say, you know, um, be as gentle as you can. And um, if you can get to the root of, of why they're not 
taking it well and maybe t- continue to talk about it um, yeah. to continue the conversation because it's easy. You know, you make a correction, they respond poorly. It's easy in that moment to emotionally just run away and say, I want to get as far away from this as I can. Um, but if you have the grace and, and, and opening to continue the conversation, say like, you know, you seem frustrated by that and I can totally understand that. Um, but could you tell me more about where that's coming from? Like, what do you feel about that? Am I totally off base or does that just strike a nerve or, and, and maybe they've been correct on that in the past and there's still harboring feelings and, and just having those conversations to try to take a step deeper so that they can see, well, they really do care for me, even though I didn't like that correction. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. I appreciate that too, Father. Uh, Stuart called in with an on off air, excuse me, an off air uh, question or actually more of a statement in, in one of his uh, experiences that he's had with Auburn Correction. Stuart from California says that uh, his daughter-in-law was not attending church, so I talked with her about it. Didn't go well right away, but now she and her family are going to Mass again and practicing the faith. So sometimes, even if it doesn't go well right away, the Lord can still be at work in it, right? Oh, absolutely. And, and what a what a victory story for, for all of us to yeah. hear. Realize, yeah. oh, it didn't go well right, right at the beginning, but something must have sunk in. They must have felt some kind of love or care in the midst of, of them being called on to more. And, and what a beautiful gift to see that it does work. And, and oftentimes we don't get to see the fruit of it. I think sometimes people make little changes interiorly and, and we don't get to celebrate those fruits now, but we hope when we get to the, the pearly gates, we can say, wow, the, the things I did, the hard conversations I had did make a positive difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, in our last few minutes here, Father, one of the things that I think we want to stress is the role of relationship, the role of love, the role of even of affirmation in the process of giving correction, that these things are are pretty staple, right? Like uh, it's probably not our role to go walking down the street and giving correction to uh, random strangers that were passing on the street. No, no, <laughs> you, you have to have those relationships and 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 be able to have the the type of relationship where there is affirmation and there is positivity because if if you're somebody, you know, if you're a friend who is only known as, you know, the corrector, um nobody's going to want to hear from you. They're going to say well that this is they have a bend, they're negative, they're they're whatever, give some sort of label. Um but if you're somebody who uh, loves and affirms and builds up, then when you say something hard or serious, they're more likely to to take that and receive it. Um, and and I think we have to build up those affirmations before we even get into the situation of a correction. Because, you know, when you're little, you're taught, well, if you're going to do a correction, it's got to be a correction sandwich, right? Affirmation, correction, affirmation. Yeah, um, right. But when they're so close to each other, they can't really be received in their entirety. So um, I think that's a good call for all of us in the Christian life to, to ask the question, how often do I affirm every day? How often am I noticing the good in the people around me and naming it? Um, because we don't know where they are mentally and we don't know what they need. Um, and if we live out of that place in a day-to-day way, then when we see something that, that should be addressed, uh, correction wise, we have the freedom to say, well, I've, I've done the heavy lifting and now I can, um, have that tough conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's so, that's so good. And so, uh, so worthy of remembering here when we're talking about, fraternal correction, that we can actually till the soil a bit beforehand by offering this sort of love and affirmation and knowing that, look, I say this to you out of love and not uh, not one of just wanting to be right. Because I think that that's one of the plagues of our society, right, is that we'd more often rather be right. Well, okay, all right, that's me probably projecting my own self onto everyone else. Uh, but I think, I think that's all of us, even uh, um, amongst priests. I would say 
um, we have a tendency to be correct, uh, correction heavy, um, especially in our brotherhood, huh. because we're all living very similar lives and we have similar backgrounds. And so it's easy to, to notice something in a brother and immediately want to kind of snuff it out. Um, but we have to be very intentional to say, well, I want to, to build that brother up in his gifts. Um, even if I struggle with jealousy or comparison, I want to build them up so that if we have to have a hard conversation, we can have that, that deeper sort of brotherhood than just the fact that we all do the same job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. Thank you for, thank you for bringing that up too. And, I, and I'm grateful that uh, maybe I'm not alone in that and preferring to be right, but also then needing to be the, the, do the hard work, do the heavy lifting, as you put it, Father, and, and uh, affirm and build one another up in love as we are commanded to do by the scriptures. Well, Father, it's been a, a joy to speak with you today about this important topic. Thank you so much for coming into the studio, making time to do that. As we close the show, we always like to do so with a blessing. May we ask that from you now, please? Through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, Father, we ask your blessing upon your sons and daughters that they might know that they're safe and loved and be given the grace to enter into the easy and the hard, knowing that you're close. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. We are, uh, yeah, just talking about fraternal corrections. What a great topic and what a... What a necessary thing, but I think there's some great tips involved there. If you missed any part of the program and like to go back and listen again, you can find us at relevantradio.com slash inner life. Coming up next is the Holy Sacrifice in the Mass, our celebrant today is Father Brian Belongi, so make sure and stay tuned for that. On Monday, the particular and universal judgment with Father Carter Griffin. Until then, friends, have a great weekend. Grace and peace.